Well, we continue the What is the Church series on Sunday. And we said that we, we, we have said we are a people who believe, a people who attest. And this week we said that we are a people who gather. And to talk about this, I'm joined by your favorite and my uh, sermon talkback contributor, Matt Papa. Hello. <laughs> Shannon. Uh, the Shannon Smith, who yep. is my birthday twin. That's right, yesterday. Birthday twin, Shannon. Mm. Hello. January 26th, and maybe the greatest future dad oh, of all future dads, Graham. Is Dalton. it Matt? Oh, it's me. It's, yeah, it's me. Matt, you got any more kids? That would be a no. All right. Okay, I don't have any more competition. Yeah, with, you're, uh, yeah at least he's with not Matt. a future dad. He's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. He's a good. past he's, dad. He's a current dad. Not a current. Yeah, you're right. Current. Yeah, you're right. Right. He is I mean, a dad. I'll just yeah. Graham, how's that? How's that baby coming along? You know, I'm feeling kind of uh, weird. I, you know, sometimes you're the, like a month away. I know, less than a month. Got, us guys have all the hard work. We have oh, all the hard work. Please. Oh no, it's the worst. It's My the back worst. is hurting. Oh, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. No, Tara's <laughs> a total champ and uh, lucky to have her. But I don't know how to feel, to be honest. I feel weird. I think that's how you should feel right now. And mm-hmm. then as soon as that little baby pops out, you're, it's, it's going to be the best feeling. I wish I could help you. I wish I could mm-hmm. prepare you. I wish prepare I could. Prepare me right now. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just this overwhelming feeling of emotion. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Um, you're immediately in love. And uh, I just love it. Yeah. How about you, man? How did you feel when Paisley was born? We are going to be uh, reenacting... Uh, birth here on the podcast today <laughs> via audio i'm gonna Wait. prepare Graham. <laughs> we better move on we talked about hebrews 10 yesterday a people who gather um graham any any impressions from the sermon you mentioned how the church is not an aggregation but a congregation and you used a you know a bunch of marbles as an example you can aggregate a bunch of marbles and that's not really what the church is. It's not just a bunch of things put together, but it's actually who people are. So whether they're gathered or scattered, it's a congregation of people who it's just part of who they are. Is yeah. Well, I mean, actually, that's a nice bridge from all this birth talk uh, <laughs> because your family is not an aggregate of people. Right. Like it's not. Right. You're not a family complex. when you have dinner together. You right. are a family, but you're also a family when you're. Yeah, or like an apartment complex, right? Like Mm. you may live in the same building with a bunch of different people, but you're... Just a bunch of marbles. Yeah, you're (laughs) commonly there because you just live in the same place. But when you're a family, you live together. It's the same thing, but you're a part of the same thing. You are a family. There's There's this unifying force, and you feel very bound to one another. And I think that's what the church is. Um, because we believe in the same thing, because we're living lives to a test, we gather, we are bound, we, we join in with one another. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a, it's something that we live in a 20 kind of first century church world where people aggregate because they all like the same kind of preaching or mm-hmm. music or whatever. But I think that we've lost that sense of people congregating to one another. Mm-hmm. We had the conversation just a little bit ago about like the online service, right? Yeah. And some people say, well, I like go <laughs> online or I have a friend that's actually like the online pastor of a church. And, you know, to me, you if that is your church experience, you have reduced 
the idea of being a congregation, of being a part of a body, which is the New Testament understanding of church, to consuming a sermon. Yeah, it's just content. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I get my content from, from this. So. Mm-hmm. What are your impressions, Shannon? Oh, um, one of the things that you said that really, I guess, stuck out to me, um, you were talking about assurance, and you used an example, well, before the example you said, you know, we de- definitely have assurance that God will keep us, but it doesn't mean, you know, once prayed a prayer, always saved, once baptized, always saved, once walked an aisle, always saved. And then you did give um, an example of Richard Dawkins, I didn't know this about him, but how he was going to become a priest, and, you know, look at him now. Um, He's, you know, some people, I mean, it's, I guess, you know, some people would have thought maybe when he was 12 years old, you know. Oh, they would have been like, oh, yeah, you should be more like right, Richard Dawkins. He right. Loves the so, Lord. Um, so, I mean, it's possible, as you said, to do many works of the Lord, which we, we know that, and really just not know God. And so, um, but just, I don't know, it, it was, it was kind of powerful because I do think, you know, I've heard my whole life, once saved, always saved. And I know that, I mean, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Because I think just... You know, hearing that, I know what you were saying because you went on and talked about, you elaborated on that a little bit more. But you know, somebody that grew up in a Southern Baptist small church hears that, and then you, yeah. There's a great tension between assurance and perseverance in Christianity, Hmm. Um, and that's kind of worked itself out in different ways throughout church history too. So we should assurance is a great good i mean the fact that you are assured of your salvation i I wrote a paper one time when i was in seminary about the difference between like what we know as the evangelicals 18th century basically christians and the the old evangelicals and puritans who were really more 17th century kind of preceding them and one of the big like turning points there was that christians gained a sense of assurance and when they gained that sense of assurance they became more missional right it's hard to move to india and become a missionary if you don't know that you're saved right if you think that you may not be saved right uh, but if you know that you're a child of god if you believe that you're in god's hands that there's there's a certain boldness that comes with that so, so assurance is a good thing but but i think what we have done what, what that's grown into is we've reduced mm-hmm. assurance to something that you can be assured of because of some act that you have done. Right. And it kind of removes the element of faith. It removes kind of the miracle of God's call, regeneration is what we would say, in salvation. Um, so, you know, for example, I grew up in a church, big revival church. This mm-hmm. is really before my dad was pastor. He was on staff at this church. Big kind of revival church. They would have these big revival guys come in. And they would say something like, you can know that you will be in heaven forever if you pray this prayer. Right. right? You ever heard that? A, a prayer right that, now. That's how I grew up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can know that you'll be mm-hmm. with God one right. day if you pray this prayer with me. Yeah. Well, I, I understand what they were trying to do, right? They were trying to lead people to a point of decision, which is good. But the way that it was presented was as if there was this kind of magical moment where you did this thing, you, t- you, you participated in the sacrament. Uh, what I would say is that's a lot of times that was like Southern Baptist sacramentalism. Mm-hmm. But the sacrament was really easy. It wasn't taking mass every Sunday. It was praying one prayer. Um, and so we, we kind of reduced salvation to a sacrament, praying the prayer, walking the aisle, whatever it was. Um, 
and it was just one really big sacrament rather than like a continuation of smaller sacraments. And I think it, it, it obviously we were presenting a, a false gospel um, in the same way that those same Southern Baptists would reject the sacramentalism of the Roman Catholic Church. They were kind of doing the same thing. Um, when really, what are we talking about when we're talking about salvation? We're talking about something that's really a gift from God. It's, it's, it's regeneration of the heart. It's, it's faith to look to Jesus. Um, and it's a continual faith. So I, I believe that the Holy Spirit has come into your life, that you should have assurance of salvation. I believe that we should walk around with assurance of salvation. Um, however, it's not assurance based on praying a prayer, walking an aisle, or getting baptized mm-hmm. or whatever. It's, a, it's assurance based on your faith in the work of Christ. So if somebody came to me and they said, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, I wouldn't say, oh, look. Did you pray the prayer? Your signature's in your Bible from March 4th, Mm -hmm. 2003. Like, I know that you became a Christian Mm -hmm. on that day. I would say, are you trusting in Jesus right now? Like, is is Jesus your hope? Is Jesus your life? And if the answer is yes, then I'd say, okay, you're a Christian. You know, if the answer is no, then, you know, then maybe you're not a Christian, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that the Bible allows for that kind of like, faith is something that, we can be assured of, but it's something that plays out over the course of our lives. Right. So. Yeah, I, I just I loved the illustration you gave yesterday about if you had, let's just say you had prayed the prayer and then you just became like a staunch atheist and so right. you yeah. never like really Richard saved. Dawkins, yeah. Right, and then you went to heaven right. and you'd be like, well, why am I here with all right. these people that I don't want to be with? Right. Because I, I wish I didn't say the prayer. I mean, of course that wouldn't happen because that's just not, it I mean, sense, yeah. yeah. I thought that was a great But it's good to hear this because, I mean, like I grew up in a church, you know, you, you walk the aisle. And so when I went to another church that was so ingrained in me where you didn't walk the aisle, they didn't really have an altar oh, call. Oh, and if, and if you don't, then it's like you should be doing that. Right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So no. it can be very confusing. And I've seen people, you know, friends and relatives who've kind of been confused about. When I went know. to First Baptist Covington, I wasn't like giving as many like profound altar calls. And, but like we baptized like 10 times as many people as they did the year before. Mm-hmm. But there was people that were really concerned, mm-hmm. like, we're not giving the altar call. I'm like, well, right. wait, how many people would you baptize last year? Oh, four. Uh, how many people would you baptize last year? 40. Uh, yeah. Don't you realize that the offer of the gospel is being made to people? Mm-hmm. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, some of those traditions die hard. All right, how about, speaking of tradition, Papa. Mis- Mr. Orderly, Matt Papa. Wow. The orderly Matt. Um, what are your impressions, man? I don't think I've ever had that nickname before, but uh, you, you're more orderly than than you want to believe. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Y'all know I'm going to give you a little pro tip on Matt right now. Ooh. Matt sometimes writes hymns in Excel. Really? That's true. Ooh. Yeah. See, you don't even want to know what he does with PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> hymns are very orderly. Yeah, they are. So, Mr. Orderly Matt. Um, my impressions i mean I, I think a lot of what we just talked about is is interesting uh in the uh the, i guess the lack of mystery that um we can just kind of sometimes convey with with praying a prayer and uh what that produces i guess but i, I don't know it, it was a general i guess an impression yesterday was generally interesting to me that like god is angry mm. and uh He's a fire and and all of that. Actually, the the song we sang, I actually texted the lyrics of it to a buddy of mine who I knew it would like cause a sort of visceral reaction from just because. So I just wanted to text him the lyrics, and he was like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe you sung that." But um, 
but it it is uh, obviously it's in the Bible, and so you have to kind of grapple with it, and you uh, you know, so so that's that's interesting, yeah, uh, and uh, difficult and awkward, but it's there. So I didn't say this in the search yesterday, but. In our conversation, actually, I said, you know, if you've never peed in your pants during the service, you've probably never really worshipped the living God. And in a sense, well, like, yeah, I've, I, you know, just... I think honest. I've been missing out on something, yeah, to be yeah, honest. I mean, well, no, I, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever peed my pants in the service. <laughs> you know, I had to be honest. But there is a sense where you should... There, there should be moments in our spirituality when we are... When we, when we actually do have that, like, oh my gosh, I have messed with the wrong guy here. I have sinned against the wrong, and God has every right to cut me off. Now, I mean, obviously, if you're a Christian, we should quickly fall back on the grace of Christ. But I think sometimes, like, we almost, again, you know, this is, there's a weird tension. Like, we almost get so used to the grace of Christ that we forget the grace of Christ, Right. We forget how kind it is that we have access to God mm-hmm. in Jesus because we have sinned against God so greatly. And I think that's what that text is saying. Like, if you go on sinning deliberately, like, they were condemned for not obeying the law of Moses. How much more are you going to be mm-hmm. condemned that you have had access to the gospel of Jesus? You you have access to the Son of God himself, and you've trumple, trampled his blood underneath your feet. Like... Do you just think you can, you know, a professor in seminary that called it high-handed sin. Mm-hmm. And high-handed sin, the way he defined it, is this kind of posture of, well, I know this is wrong, but I know God is gracious, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Yeah. And and actually, I'm not saying that if you've ever done that, that you're not a Christian, but that is evidence of an unrepentant heart. Right. And so you can't just keep doing that, you know. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I, I love that we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, because on the other spectrum, you see a lot of people talking about the love of God mm-hmm. and whatnot. And they almost miss out on this anger and the judgment part. And much of heresy seems to stem from an overemphasis on a biblical truth. You overemphasize God, God's care, and all right. of a sudden you have some sort of prosperity gospel. You overemphasize God's love, and you're watering down like your sin or, or something like that. I mean... So a good theological balance of who God is, I think, is important. I think it was a, a good song to sing for, for all of us. I mean, anger and intensity and justice mm-hmm. are actually beautiful things, yeah. right? Or we wouldn't want God without those mm-hmm. things. Right. I mean, if you look at a corrupt country, it's because there is no real justice right. um, for breaking a law. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually like, we're, like order, you know, as Matt knows order is actually a beautiful thing but but in a fallen world order requires uh discipline you know order requires judgment order requires consequence i guess would be a good way to put it and our god is a god of consequence i mean he's a consuming fire he is going to consume all evil and as i said in the little like pre-sermon thing that should give you great adoration for God. You should look at God and say, oh my gosh, how orderly is he? How well do people do things? How, 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 how disciplined, you know, are his ways, if you will. Um, you know, I mean, 
y'all are going to laugh at me for using this illustration, but like, you know, like Nick Saban, I mean, I hate to use a college football illustration, but like Saban is known for mm-hmm. being like angry or whatever. But we, we don't look at that and say like, that's a bad thing. We say like, he holds people to a process that is orderly and it produces something that is really, really great. Um, and obviously like, you know, there's some sin involved in Saban's anger, I'm sure. I'm not like trying to equate that, but I'm saying that we, we recognize the beauty of mm-hmm. discipline and consistency and order and and God is a God, our God is a God that, that will one day order everything rightly. He's going to consume anything that's out of order. Mm-hmm. And that should make, lead us to adoration and should also lead us to a sense of trembling. So so I like Jimbo Fisher's more of a good balance, you know. Jimbo's good. Jimbo. <laughs> I, like, I like Jimbo. I like Jimbo. Okay. Well, uh, so what are some questions you guys have? Yeah, I had a question um, about the word consider. You pointed that out. Hebrews ten twenty four says, "And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works." And uh, and I guess what one of your examples was focused on the pastoral side of consider consideration and the elder side of it. But I'm just wondering, like as a church member, what does it look like to be considerate of one another towards love and good works? Yeah, I mean, I, so when I was uh, a kid, you know, I played a lot of sports. I, I don't mind kind of getting chewed out. Uh, I don't mind somebody correcting me. Um, in fact, it's kind of motivating. I, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of like it. I, I kind of thrive off that. If somebody like barks me a little bit, I'm kind of like, you messed with the wrong guy. Like I'll show you, like I'm gonna do a better job. I'll show you that I can be great. Um, that's motivating for me, right? Paige, on the other hand, like does not like that. You know, she does not like uh, she, you know, if ever I correct her, I have to be like very mm-hmm. careful and she'll say like, you're being coach D's right now. Like she mm-hmm. does not like that. So I could just go on in our marriage and say, whatever, um, Paige, you know, this is how I correct yeah. people. Just get used to it. Uh, yeah. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. Or I could, as the Bible tells me to do, learn to live with my wife in an understanding way. And part of understanding her is considering how God made her and what motivates her. My goal is not to stir one another along, if you will, in whatever way I like. It's to consider how to stir them along Mm -hmm. in a way that's actually going to lead to them having more faith and to them having more love. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing in parenting, right? Graham, you're about to be a dad. You know, I'm sure this firstborn son is going to be absolutely perfect, right? Yeah, actually perfect. Yeah. And maybe your second <laughs> child daughter. is not going to be true. Uh, well, like, I mean, my children, like, Imriana is so different than John Kellis. And so, like, the way I motivate her is very different. I mean, she's more into the, like, giving clear instructions, discipline, whatever, mm-hmm. that John Kellis is more into, like, I've got to, like, help him take ownership. I've got to help him, like, think it's fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Imriana, like, wants to do good in school because, you know, she knows that makes me happy. John Kellis only wants to do good in school if, like, it's fun to do good in school, you know. And so I've got to consider how to stir them along. And I think that's what the text is saying. Like, like be in a body. Be a part of a congregation. Realize there's different people here. And consider them. And consider how to stir them along. It seems like that just implies that uh, you need to be known and make or no other people to take an effort. I feel like that would lead in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, there's the know, implication is like at the most basic level. You know one another. Yeah, you have to know each other. Yeah. 
I have a question, if it's okay. Um, your last, I guess your last point was, what is the ultimate hope, or your last question, of our gathering? And you said Christians should be the most progressive people. Um, and you, you made a couple of uh, statements about how we believe in a kingdom where everything is set right, no sin, no jealousy, perfect harmony, and we should be forward-thinking, uh, forward-looking. Um, anyway, could you could you elaborate more on that? Maybe even get, give some practical examples. I'm a real practical kind of I mean, that's, gal, that's so. one of the things that I say because I kind of like to just poke at categories a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I don't like that in American common culture or whatever, like... Um, progressive means exactly what it means and right. people would say like Christians aren't progressive mm-hmm. regressive yeah. because I think that we are actually we should be the most progressive like what is ultimate progress right ultimate progress is knowing God and being like him like you can't progress beyond that right that is that is the the ultimate height of all things right and so a lot of what we say is progressive these days is, um, I think, regressive. Um, you know, for example, I had an interesting conversation this morning. Shannon, you were there about homelessness. And, uh, you know, I was in a conversation about San Francisco. We are talking about homelessness in San Francisco. It's so such an issue that literally the, the whole city smells, right? Because there's no sort of control over homelessness. People are literally, in fact, you know, the city of San Francisco spent some like millions and millions of dollars last year um, cleaning up human feces off their sidewalks. Okay. So that, we, we say San Francisco is a very progressive city, but I would look at it and I'd say, really? Like, is that progress or is that actually regress? Now, if you said, like, in 15th century London, they were cleaning up, you know, they had mm-hmm. no sewage, they Especially were cleaning, wire, yeah. they'd be like, okay, yeah, because that's a long time ago, before mm-hmm. we progressed to the point that we are now. And so, I think that it's helpful to think, okay, what is ultimate progress? What, what am I aiming at here? What do, I, what do I want here? And the way the Bible kind of talks about ultimate progress is the new heavens, new earth, when we're with God. And what will be true then? Well... We will have th- things that progressives do value, like racial unity. Mm-hmm. Well, we will have perfect racial unity then. There'll people from all tribes and tongues and languages pulled together. So that's that's one area where I would say, like, what we think of as progressives are right. They're aiming for something that is really beautiful, uh, total r- racial unity. Um, but we'll also there won't be lying. There won't be backbiting. There won't be manipulation. There won't be people won't steal from one another. Uh, people will actually consider one another. People will be concerned about one another. That is the hope of the new heavens, new earth. And so I think that when we gather as a church, there should be a sense, which should remind us forward, if you will, about the new Jerusalem. We should be like, ah, this is what the new Jerusalem is. It's like a preview. This is what the new Jerusalem is going to be like a little bit. And in looking at that, we currently, though, can do these things that, I mean, like, yeah, that's what the new Jerusalem is going to look like. But here we are, we're here now. And we're not just like looking ahead. We should be doing things, right? I mean, while, I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think I've so, heard Keller talk about, you know, while we're here and thinking about the hope that we have and, mm-hmm. and, and how everything's going to be made right, we should be part of that. So part of that is like pursuing purity, pursue, you know, killing sin. There's not going to be yeah, any sin right. in the new Jerusalem. So something that should be true of us now is that so it's not we like we're together yeah, we need to be are doing, fighting for right. sin. There's not going to be pain. Well, there obviously is pain now. But we as a gathered community are working to alleviate pain in one another. Where we see pain, we're working to bring hope. We're working to bring justice. 
We're, we're working right. to bring um, righteousness. The things that will be true of the most progressive place, the New Jerusalem, mm -hmm. should begin to be true of us as a gathered so community. So it's the signpost thing, kind of mm -hmm. you were saying. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have a question, Matt? Um, well, I thought, I mean, I thought Lou, at one point, maybe it was like in a sermon meeting or something, he brought up an interesting point about the, the deliberately sinning um, mm. and how you... I mean, what does the pastor say? Like, if you go on deliberately sinning, there's, yeah. like, there's no hope. You'd lose the grace or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Um, which, which obviously, there's there's subconscious sinning that we have no idea about uh, for every human being. In, uh, but but for Christians, there's also there is deliberate sinning. Like there's there's um, like when you sin, you don't sort of do it by accident. Uh, you know, unless it's on a sort unless of like you're making a choice. Yeah. So that, that, is, that is an interesting question to me. Well, I think, yeah, kind of a related question is like, the, what are the warning passages there for? Like the Hebrews warning passages there. Because they seem to kind of say like, look, watch out, you could lose your salvation. And, and you know, Tom Schreiner actually writes this really interesting book called The Race Set Before Us, uh, the, where he talks about these warning passages. And he, and he says, it's actually the Holy, the Holy Spirit's actually using these passages to if you will, warn the church. It's part of the assurance. It's part of the Holy Spirit's keeping power that there would be these warnings uh, to keep us faithful. Mm -hmm. um, so the analogy I kind of gave, uh, I think maybe in our sermon writing meeting, is, you know, with my kids swimming. Okay. Like, when I take my kids to the pool, like, of course, I'm going to watch them the entire time. There's lifeguards there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I still warn them. And I say, like, if you go out there, you could drown, right? Now, I'm not going to let them drown, right? I'm going to watch them. Lifeguards are going to save them. It's like the Holy Spirit's not going to let us drown. But it's, it's like it's still appropriate to give the warning. You're not supposed to go out there. You're not supposed to swim beyond this rope uh, because it's dangerous. Because, and I think that's what this is saying. Like, if you forsake to meet together right. and go on deliberately sinning and pull away, like— You'll trample underfoot the blood of Christ, and there will be a great judgment for that. So, yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, guys, this has been good. A lot of interesting stuff. There's probably more that we could talk mm -hmm. about, but the time has come for the birth reenactment. <laughs> for the birth reenactment, we're going to do that actually off the air. And so, for Matt Papa, Shannon Smith, Graham, hey, get ready for it, Graham Thompson. Hey. I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening. <laughs>